Amen. So quite a bit in Acts chapter 19, uh, quite a bit of, of blessing. And then we come to uh, where we are here in uh, verse uh, 21. So uh, it's it's speaking of this, what we're going to get into here is uh, the riot in Ephesus, where there was, um, uh, as Paul is faithfully ministering in Ephesus, and uh, people are coming to the Lord, uh, people are being healed, uh, there, there's a great, uh, great leading of people away from idolatry and sin into a relationship with Christ. So as those things are, are taking place, uh, we see here as, as we get uh, moving through uh, the, and we pick up in, in verse 21 that, that uh, there's a, uh, it, that doesn't mean that everybody's excited about it. You know, there were uh, when we when we considered the handkerchiefs and the aprons uh, that were being used, uh, God was using them uh, through Paul to heal people and to minister to people's lives. Now, understand, Paul in and of himself had zero ability to heal somebody, just like any of us. We don't have the ability. We may want to. I wish I did. You know, there there are loved ones that I've, I've watched suffer and then pass away that I wish I could have touched them. And healed them, but that is that is God given and God led. Uh, so we see God using um, Paul in a very special way. Now it's 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 interesting because as we move forward in our study, we'll see. Now uh, some people call him Tychicus or whatever, um, uh, Tychicus or however you pronounce his name. Uh, I, I just whatever it is. Okay, uh, I say Tychicus. If or a ticket, just whatever, right? Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know a whole lot of them. We'd probably just call him Ty today, right? So um, just that's what we do, especially in America. We're a little lazy about names and, and you know, or call him T or whatever. But it, uh, ultimately, this is a man that as Paul was ministering, Paul left him in another city as he was ministering and, and had to continue moving on. So Paul in and of himself wasn't just this healing machine. It was God working through him. Now, as I said, not everybody was excited about this. Uh, there were people that were losing money and losing power because of this, and that's what we're getting into here in verse 21. So uh, lives are being changed, and when lives are being changed and people are no longer in bondage to the sin that they once were in, uh, whoever was benefiting from them uh, living in that life of sin gets a little fired up because now they're worried about, you know, what about my income? What about my power? Those things, when they built up a... A uh, uh, an empire to themselves, or at least a uh, a, a mode of uh, living. So uh, when we get into this, it, it, that's kind of the background uh, as we pick up in verse 21. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Uh, we've got a whole stack of them in the back. And with us going through a, a chapter and a half, it would be beneficial for you to have one. But uh, if, if you do need a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will get you one. So we need one, two. One, okay, two Bibles, please. I realized that. I didn't say that before. Um, and uh, Acts, Acts chapter 9 uh, is uh, 19. 19, thank you. 19 is where we're going to be. 9 would be quite a few weeks back, right? So Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 21. says, when these things were accomplished, which means God was accomplishing something here in, in these people's lives, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia uh, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. So he sent to, into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, 
but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So Paul had a, a, a ministry hope, but it was uh, subject to God's will and God's timing. You know, Paul was very clear to say, I would like to do this. And he did. Remember when he wanted to go to Ephesus, he said, I wanted to go there, but the Lord had something different for me. The, the spirit uh, prohibited us from doing so. Uh, so when we consider this, Paul, uh, his ministry was very much uh, only uh, as God led him. Uh, Paul wasn't trying to just do his own thing and, and, and those things. So Paul sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia. So that would lead us to uh, understand that these were very trustworthy people able to minister, uh, faithful to their calling. Uh, Paul was very serious about the scriptures and making sure that people heard the truth and knew the truth. He's not going to send somebody who doesn't understand uh, what they're doing or is not faithful to to complete the whatever he's tasked that he's he's told them they need to go do. Uh, as the spiritual leader, Paul would send somebody who uh, had the ability, you know, because there's the the saying there that um, God doesn't call the equipped; He equips the called, right? So uh, you can you can be equipped and be able to to speak as uh, you know some great orator. And, uh, and to grab everybody's attention. We've had some amazing leaders in this country that, uh, sorry, amazing speakers in this country uh, that weren't great leaders, but man, they were good speakers. You can't take that away from them. Man, could they give a speech. And you're just like, if I, under, if I, if I you know, believed anything this guy said, this guy is, is good. Or this lady's got, you know, she can, she can communicate, uh, you know, whatever uh, you know, political spot they were in or whatever may not align, but you, you have to give credit where it's due. Some people can just speak or they can sing or they can, you know, they can, they have those abilities to be able to do those things, but where God calls, you know, so if you ever find yourself like, I'm not that, no, but if God is putting that call on our hearts, we need to be obedient to that call. Uh, we know that Timothy was, uh, had to be encouraged by Paul. Don't be afraid, you know? So he was, he was afraid, you know, let no one despise your youth. He had to tell him, you know, there were, there were things that Timothy had to overcome. Uh, inadequacies in his own mind that he had to overcome, but he, uh, Paul knew that he was he was trustworthy and that he could move forward as uh, the Lord had called him. And that's a reminder for us to be ready to uh, to serve when we're called upon. Uh, I almost said Ken Will used to tell me, "Hey, be ready to come out of the bullpen." Right. So that, that was my thing. He's just like, just if you can, you ever watch baseball and you watch a Red Sox game or whatever, you see the guy out in the bullpen, right? They're out there and they're just chucking the ball. They're getting their arm warmed up. They're getting warmed up. He'd just tell me, just be ready because there were times where I'd get a phone call or a text. Can you teach tonight? I'm sick or whatever it is. And my responsibility was to be ready. And, uh, and, and sometimes I was more ready than, than others. I'll admit that. But, uh, I, because sometimes my, you can sit in the bullpen for three months and you're like, yeah, I don't know what I need to be. Oh, now I need to be ready in those waiting times, prepare something. So, Oh, Hey, yeah, got it right here. I can just pull it up and use it. So uh, just be ready because uh, these guys were called upon by Paul to minister and they were ready to go. And they did verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. Now your Bible may have the way, uh, capitalized, and uh, that's when we're, when we're talking about that. It it wasn't just a way; it was the way that was being described here. So there's a there's there's something else being implicated here uh, and implied. So when when you look at this, it's speaking of Christianity, the way. That's what the way it became known is the way. 
So when you're talking about Christianity, that, sorry, what this is saying here is everybody was, there was a great commotion about Christianity in this way that Paul was, was preaching, that commotion about the way. So since day one, there have been commotions about Christianity. All the way back, we can see that, that immediately the church was uh, facing persecution. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that not everybody's excited about the way. Um, and that's, it is what it is, the, the quicker we come to that understanding, but not let that determine whether we follow the Christ or Christ or not in the way. There's one way. You know, when Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Uh, when, when Jesus claimed that, he's claiming to be the only way, uh, the only advocate that we have between God the Father and us as sinful men, that he is the way, the truth, the life. That's very exclusive to say those things. I am the way. He didn't say I am a way. You know, there, there are many, it's a popular saying for people to say many ro roads lead to God. Not according to what Jesus Christ says and not according to what the scripture says. There's one way that leads to, Jesus, to, to God and it is through Jesus Christ. So, you know, these people were probably sitting there going, hey, these are the guys that's been said that they turned the world upside down, whatever it was. There's a great commotion and things are getting stirred up. Verse 24, for a certain man, man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them uh, together with workers of similar occupation. It said, men, you know that we have our prosperity in this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that, only in, uh, that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, amen, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands, another amen. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple and the great goddess Diana may be uh, despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. I mean, this guy right here is smart. He, uh, you got to give him that. He, what he's seeing here, where if you go back to verse 24, he's, he's a silversmith. And how does he make his money? By making little shrines that people can take with them, little portable Diana shrines that they could easily just put in a, in a knapsack or, or whatever and, and go. And uh, they have a, a silver thing that they can, uh, a silver uh, Diana that they can put in there. You know, think about that. They've, they've got their little portable shrine so they can stop and worship Diana. Now, uh, he's, he's threatened by Paul's ministry here, and uh, he's the cause of the commotion. It's, and, and what we see here, the heart of the, of the commotion is idolatry, money, and power uh, that are, that are in, uh, in jeopardy. Now, this uh, Latin word uh, is, is, is Diana, but, or Artemis. Uh, she's called the Queen of Heaven in Ephesus. And uh, she, can, she was considered the goddess of virginity, fertility, and the protection of childbearing. So uh, Paul's preaching was, was so effective that a number of people were turning away uh, from the sorcery. Remember we studied last week that, that everybody was burning their books for witchcraft and everything. And that, you know, 50 shekels of silver, 150 people's annual wages. That was a lot of books. You know, there, there was some serious money put into those things. And people are turning away from, from those uh, awful things, and they're getting saved. And here Demetrius is, and he's cloaking his desire for money uh, and power and using this false goddess as a means to get everyone's attention and buy it. 
and and where he says even her magnificence you know so he's 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 talking about hey guys you know our trade is going to fall apart and and we we have to make sure that this paul and he's pointing uh, everyone to paul as the enemy and um and he actually, uh, this is a great quote where he says that Paul is teaching that gods uh, which are made with hands are not gods. Uh, you know, that uh, they are not God which are made with hands, he says. That's how he says it. But they're not gods. No, they're not, right? And we've talked about this several times. You know, where in Isaiah, just the, the, the foolishness of thinking you'd chop down a tree and make a god from it and then cook your breakfast with it and 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 say, oh, well, this is this is something greater than me. No, you just made that thing. If you're making it, I mean, what a what a uh, just a debased state to be in. Uh, that's a that's a bad spot to be in, um, where where you're you're creating something and then bowing down to it. But that's essentially where they were. So he's getting everybody riled up, and he says, not only is this trade uh, in uh, jeopardy of falling into disrepute, which would be a lack of trust or respect. Um, you know, this is the cause for concern. We might be out of business, is what he's saying. Hey guys, you know this Paul that's getting everybody, uh, everybody to follow Jesus Christ, is uh, is a threat to our income. You know, you want to get somebody's attention, tell them they're going to lose money, right? Now you're going to lose your money if you do that. You know, and, and these guys, not uh, you know, being um, whether they heard it or not, I'm sure they probably did hear Paul preach a time or two or not, but they are uh, at a point where. Uh, they are too concerned over their money than with the truth, whether they've uh, how many times they've heard Paul speak. But Paul uh, had had spoke. He had been in Ephesus. He spends three years in Ephesus. That's a long time for Paul to be there. And uh, so there's a lot of ministry happening. So if they didn't hear him directly, they heard indirectly what Paul was speaking. So they're more concerned with uh, with their income, and and where where uh, Demetrius says the temple of our great goddess Diana. I put quotation marks over that. Uh, you know, it may be despised and her magnificence uh, just being destroyed. You know, a real, a real deity uh, can't have their magnificence destroyed, right? A, a, man, a man can't destroy God's magnificence. So when you, when you think, like, here he is, he's gathering, he's like, Diana really needs us, guys. You know, it's almost like the huddle, right, in football. You know, you come in and like, guys, we got to do this for Diana because she's completely helpless. And if we're not here to do this... You know, that, that's a li literally what he's doing. He's, he's trying to rally the troops to get everybody excited so that they can defend this false goddess. You know, that, that should say, you know, he's even quoted as saying, like, that, that these things that are made with hands aren't gods. You know, but he's, 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 he's saying it, saying, well, this is what Paul's saying, and he's absolutely right. And I'm glad that he got that part of the, the, the quote ready and, uh, and was able to share that. You know, and uh, you know, consider if a God needs us uh, to remain relevant, they're not uh, a true God. You know, there's a, a difference between what's being said here and, and in Exodus 20. Uh, you know, remember in Exodus 20 when the law, uh, when God is speaking the law uh, to the congregation of Israel, right? They can only get so far, so close to uh, Mount Sinai. And God is speaking. And think of the magnificence that's described there. You know, you've got the, the lightning, the thunder, and the, and the, the, the trumpets, and all those things uh, that are happening there. And, uh, you know, the, here, here these guys are, you know, because they're false god. Their goddess means nothing. It has no power. Right? Because it's, it's a fable. It's not true. And we're going to see the city clerk say that, hey, remember this, this great 
uh, this great statue fell down from heaven from Zeus. He gave it to us and all this stuff. It's, it's stupidity because there's no power in Diana. So all the, the followers of this fake goddess have to come together. Like we saw in Exodus 20, that's God's demonstration of his power. That's a small, uh, it, it, when you consider the power of God, to make some thunder and the lightning, the big thick cloud, those things, that's a small demonstration of his power. Very great in our eyes. But you know when, when he can speak the world into existence, and uh, that, that's, some, that's some power there. 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 10 here. So because what, what's being said here is that all Asia are worshiping a God. And uh, so what we see the problem is, is greed and the desire for money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's greed. There's money at the heart of this concern. This isn't like, oh, hey, people are just walking away from, from Diana. It says that he was concerned here. Uh, he's like, oh, we're all going to lose our jobs. You know, and everybody's getting up in arms. They're afraid of losing their money. They're afraid of losing what they have. And uh, he's saying, wait a minute. If everybody just goes and starts following Jesus, we're nothing. You know, what are we going to make? How about something useful? Uh, never, never mind. I won't get on that. But so this temple was a big tourist attraction. You know, uh, when we see, we're going to see in verse 35, it's said that what man is there who does not know that Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana. So it was a popular selling item, these little shrines that they had. People would come to visit and they'd be like, oh, cool. I just went. I had this amazing experience, you know, total idolatrous, bad experience. Right. And then when they leave, they're like, oh, cool. I can get my own pocket, uh, you know, idol and I can go and I can worship uh, Diana whenever I want to. And uh, so it was popular. They were no doubt set out, set up right before and right after. Uh, so when people are going in, they're like, "Hey, I gotta get my, I gotta get my, you know, little thing I can pull in my wagon or whatever that uh, that I've got uh, that I can continue on in service." So these guys were very much afraid that they were going to lose everything. Verse twenty-eight. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians." So he, he knows this. This guy's a smart guy. Demetrius is a smart guy. Uh, he gets everybody he needs to, and he knows what to say to push the buttons. And once he's pushed the buttons, he gets the exact uh, response that he was hoping for. Be careful when somebody knows how to push buttons, right? Because this guy was very effective, very effective. And he comes in, he's like, hey, guys, we're going to lose everything. Oh, and, hey, by the way, Diana, you know, we, we got to protect the, the temple. we got to protect everything. Here And he gets everybody fire, fired up here, and they're full of wrath. They're crying out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. You know? and, and so the whole city, look at this, verse 29. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed to the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the temple, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and they did not know why they had come together. And uh, the, you guys see what we're going to be talking about here? Uh, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew... 
all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So this is a mass, this is mass hysteria of confusion and uh, like nobody in misdirection, like nobody has any idea where, where they're going, what they're saying, what they're doing. They're like, this guy's crying, this guy's doing this. What are we doing? I don't know. We're just all here. It's crazy. That's, that's about right for what a mob does, right? They get together and like two people have an agenda and the rest of them are like, I don't know. I just saw this. Things are burning. So we came, you know, we wanted to, you know, I just want to cook my marshmallows or, you know, I wanted to set something on fire, whatever it is. They want to get involved for things that are exciting for them, right? So, so everybody just, just, they're full of wrath and they, they start saying, great is Diana of the, of the Ephesians. And they get this little group starting and the whole city, like it says, is full of confusion. The, the whole city. So everything's all stirred up here. Remember this, though. We're told in 1 Corinthians 33, uh, 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion. So we know God isn't organizing this. Okay, This is a, a, a mob of confusion of what's happening here. It's a city without God, and they're not properly grounded spiritually, so they're just running into whatever direction seems the most exciting or whatever's going on there. They're going to run to it. And it says, of one accord. They're in the theater of one accord without direction. So they're, they're there in one accord, and I don't know. These guys are screaming over there, and uh, this is happening over there. We're just here. We don't know what we're doing yet, but this sounds uh, pretty interesting. So they're all trying to figure it all out. And uh, that, that mob mentality, they don't really know what they're protesting or what they're there for. They're just running purposely into confusion is what we see here. They're just saying, hey, you know what? We're, we're going here, and, um, and uh, they're, they're getting into this, this chaos. And it's opposite of what we are called to as Christians. We should not be joining a mob of just chaos. That shouldn't be something for us. We're called to a sound and sober mind. We're called to self-control. We're called, we're called to be examples to this world, to be salt and light, uh, not to be sitting there and just going crazy and those, those types of things. So we see a godless society coming together in confusion and just mass hysteria with no uh, direction here. And they rush to the theater where everybody else is to see what's going on. Now, the, these people are trying to get Paul, and they couldn't, so they grabbed uh, Gaius and, and Aristarchus, and these are Paul's Macedonian travel partners. And um, Paul, being uh, the leader that he is, uh, wants to go, go right in. Right? He's like, those are my guys. I'm going in. And they're like, no, you're not. Stay here. They're going to rip you apart, or whatever it is. There's, there's a threat to him there, and they're saying, you can't go in there, Paul. And you know that there, there's tears. You know that this is a tough situation. This isn't like, oh... If you guys ever watch sports, you have somebody like antagonize a fight and then they back up and they let everybody else come into it. It's hilarious to watch, right? Paul's the guy that's saying, wait, my friends are in there. Let me in there. I got I to gotta get them out or I'm the one they want. You know, so he's worried about his friends. These are people he knows and loves. He wants to go in, but he has good friends, good brothers that are saying, look, those guys are in there. I don't know, but I'm assuming they're saying God's going to protect him. Or whatever happens to them, if they lose their lives, they're going to heaven. But you're not going in there. We've got you here. We're going to keep you in safety. So uh, no doubt Paul's having a hard time with that. So even the officials of Asia were looking to keep, uh, that were friends with him, trying to keep him out. So definitely a hostile situation. And, uh, you know, when they found out Alexander was a Jew. So there's this craziness here. And then Alexander gets put forth there. And they're like, hey, maybe you can do something. And as soon as Alexander tries to tries to speak up, they're like, forget this guy. And they just start screaming even louder. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they scream that for two hours. They have nothing else to say. There's nothing uh, like 
They, there's nobody taking control of this yet. It's all just chaos, and all they can think of is we're just gonna we're just gonna say the same thing for two hours. Great is Diana the Ephesians. I don't know if they had like a clap and then they'd come in and whatever it was, right? But these guys in their total chaos are just saying uh, for two hours, you know, with one voice. Uh, so they're all they all get in sync and they're all saying these things. This is the first boy band uh, here uh, in the scriptures here, but they're all in sync, right? They're all saying their their whatever they want to say. And they're all saying it in, in unison. And what they want to say is great is Diana of the Ephesians, right? Because they're saying, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose anything. I don't want all these things and everything that we know about our culture. What if your culture's wrong? You know, and these guys are just sitting here in rebellion uh, to the Lord. And um, it, they're just worshiping all that they know. <clears throat> and now we see here in verse 35, it says, When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, uh, what man is there who does not know that the city uh, of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? We spoke of that earlier. And of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought uh, to be uh, quiet and do nothing rashly. Now, I'll disagree with what he says there. But anyways, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. Uh, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And where uh, when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So here they are, a bunch of tough guys. They're all gathered together, and they get the whole mob against uh, Gaius and um, Aristarchus there, and, and uh, they're, they're thinking they're tough, and uh, they, they were going to keep yelling until they're heard. And uh, they uh, then they hear that they've got to answer to Rome. And things quiet down really quick. You know, it's a mindless gathering. Everybody's, you know, shut that guy up. You know, and, and, and they just go back to their idol worship. And uh, they don't even know why they're there. And here comes the city clerk, who's probably the least intimidating guy around, right? You usually don't see, you know, bodybuilder, professional wrestler guy that's going to come in and intimidate, right? So all these guys are getting together, and they really want to do a bunch of stuff. And probably the most meek and mild guy comes up, and he actually has some good, uh, good uh, advice for them. Hey, guys, we don't want to answer to Rome. We need to shut this whole thing down. And, hey, you guys, we have a court system to go through. Of course, he says some things we don't agree with, that uh, things can't be denied, that their, uh, their statue to Diana had fallen down from Zeus, anything like that. But, but he speaks a little bit of... of um, wisdom to them and and uh they are uh here at a, at a at a point where they're they're still trying to make sense of what's going on and and, and all the confusion that's happening here and um and he really just grabs them and says hey look guys uh as as they're boasting in their idolatry and uh and what we'll see today even in today's world there's still a great boast and if anybody would speak against whatever it is uh, and, and because when I say whatever it is, because we have so many idols 
uh, in this nation. So many things that if you speak against it, it's wrong. It's hate speech, whatever that is. Uh, it can be sexual orientation. It can be whatever, you know, politics and, and those things. And we just say, you know what, I, I guess I just don't get too fired up about politics. You know, it just, you know, I, 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 I believe that the answer is in the scriptures. And if this nation turns back uh, to God and follows him and, and his loving example, then uh, things are probably going to get back in order, whatever, you know, how dare you not jump on this, whatever, you know, and, and look into politics are not our answer. You know, all these things that we could speak against, you know, we could, we could be facing a backlash for the things that we say that, you know, there's a, uh, um, social media accounts that are getting shut down for Calvary chapels here in Maine because they're just speaking the truth, saying that it qualifies as hate speech. That day comes, then we'll find another way to broadcast. You know, I'm like, oh, hey, we got shut down. You know, we better shutter the windows and doors and head out of town. Good to know you guys. No, that, I mean, if we're, if we're speaking the truth in today's world and we get some backlash for it, that means we're doing the right thing, Right. I'm not out to just lop ears off, but speaking the truth in love, absolutely. We can do that. Here's the city clerk just settling down all the tough guys, you know, all the metal workers. Hey, guys, let's settle down. Just using a little bit of common sense. Hey, do you want to answer this for Rome? Uh, to Rome for this? No, not really. Didn't think so. Everybody just disperses. As quickly as it came together, it disperses as soon as they hear that there's a threat. You know, so so these guys aren't too excited about defending Diana. They're like, oh, forget about that. We're just gonna go home. I got, you know, gonna go mow my lawn or whatever they've got to do, right? So uh, yeah, they were they were all riled up for a little bit here. So things get calmed down. Everybody goes their own way. Verse one of Acts twenty says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea, I don't know how to pronounce that name, so I'm going to call him Sopater, um, accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus, of, uh, Thessaloni of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and uh, Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, uh, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas and we, uh, where we stayed for seven days. So when the storm settled or the, the uproar ceased, uh, as they always do for one reason or the other, Paul departed uh, Ephesus uh, after meeting with the disciples, and he left for Macedonia and encouraged the believers with uh, many words, it says. In the past visit to Macedonia, the Roman Proverbs, uh, province, of Macedonia. We saw Lydia being saved, uh, the fortune-telling uh, little girl uh, being delivered from demonic possession, the Philippian jailer and his family saved, Paul and Silas in prison singing and praying. There's a lot that happened there. Uh, <clears throat> so then it says that they went to Greece for three months until the Jews plotted against him. So when you're looking at Acts, it's not like one day here, one day there. This is a collective 
uh, reflection on what was happening. So sometimes Luke, as he's writing this, would just say, hey, we spent three months there. What we can know, what we can assume is Paul went along the same pattern that he always did. He'd get there and immediately he'd go right to the synagogue and start preaching wherever he is. And uh, Paul's about his ministry. He wants to get out there and get the word out. So they spent three months there uh, ministering, no doubt. So it's a faithful group of believers that went with him and then went uh, ahead to Troas. And they met up again five days later for a week after the day of unleavened bread, it says. Now, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, uh, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. In, and in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him, saying, uh, "Him uh, and embraced him, embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him.' Now, when he had come up, uh, he had uh, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak. He departed, and they uh, brought the young man alive, and they did not, uh, and, and they were not a little comforted." So here they are on Sunday. Paul's preparing to leave, uh, and he had a lot to say to them. So uh, here we are. We're at a midnight Bible study, and Paul's still preaching. You know, they no doubt, you know, probably had some dinner, and Paul just starts speaking. They got all these uh, these candles in the room, and uh, you know, he had a lot to say in Macedonia. So apparently, he had maybe a little too many words to share tonight, right? And uh, it says that there are lamps in the room. It's dark, and this guy's tired. You know, what I think we could put Eutychus in the category of his spirit is willing, but his flesh is weak, right? And his flesh is pancake here in a minute, right? So, you know, he's, he's, he's tired, you know, he's sinking into a deep sleep. He's overcome, it says, by sleep. Uh, seems to have been fighting it, where it says he's overcome by it. You guys ever been there? I know there are some Sunday mornings that I've sat in these things and Will teach. He's like, like dead on on something important and I'm exhausted and I'm sitting there and I'm just trying to keep my eyes open. You got, we've been, we've all been there, right? <clears throat> Man, when, uh, I, when I was, uh, in, in my uh, training down in uh, Texas or Mississippi, um, you start falling asleep in class, your training instructors right in your face, right? Tom, <laughs> Tom was a training instructor for survival, right? Somebody starts falling asleep when you're talking, I mean, something gets thrown, something's going to wake you up, all right? Paul was gracious, may have seen him there sitting in the window, we don't know. Uh, but here is Eutychus, and he's trying his best to stay awake, but he's overcome by sleep. You know, understand, it's not that this man was not spiritual. There's some weird takes on some of these things. They'll say, oh, well, this guy's a sinner, and because he's a sinner, God threw him out the window. No, no, the guy's tired. You know, he's in a midnight Bible study, all right? Do people that are not serious about their faith go to a midnight Bible study? No, right? So we can, we can say that this guy here wanted to learn. He's investing in his relationship with Christ. Um, he wants to be there, and even though it's midnight, he's sitting there. And uh, it, one thing I can say is he does lack, spirit, lack uh, some situational awareness. So we'll put him in that category, lack situational awareness, okay? Uh, because our, if you're that tired, 
uh, you know, like if you're if you're that tired, you're going to pull over, right? Or you're going to find some place to sleep or, or something like that. He just didn't, that situation awareness switch wasn't on for him. Uh, so uh, we just uh, see here that uh, he's, uh, he's fallen asleep. So he's not being judged. Uh, some would probably say that. No, he's just a tired guy at a, at a study that's gone even into midnight. But we just read that this went all the way through the morning, right? So these guys were there. and Paul had a lot to say because Paul's winding down his ministry. His, his, his uh, um, time as an apostle uh, and being sent out is going to start winding down. And we'll, we'll see that where he's no longer being sent. And, and eventually he'll, he'll be because he'll appeal to Rome and then he'll, he'll become... A, a Roman prisoner, uh, but we know he's a, uh, he considered himself to be a prisoner of Christ. But but ultimately, in uh, they 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 have Paul, and, and he spends years in house arrest. You know, later and everything. But during as things are starting to wind down, Paul is is he's got a lot to say, and he's trying to encourage these guys. So whatever he was saying, uh, you know, this guy falls from the third. Uh, story. You don't survive third story falls and just hey w wake up and then the next morning walk up like hey what's for breakfast? You know that's what that's what everybody else did. I mean look at what's happening here. It's not that Paul was flipping about this. What happened to this guy? Paul knew when Paul uh, was was with this guy and he he just lays on top of him and 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 he's no doubt praying. Uh, you know Paul says don't trouble yourself for his life is in him. He didn't die, guys. Eutychus is good. Bible study is going to continue. Okay. He might have a bump on his head or whatever, but we're going to make sure he's all right, you know. And and then Paul went up and he continues the Bible study here. So don't don't look at it as a as a way of of Paul just not caring about this man. No, he did very much care. Stopped everything and went and checked on him, and uh, he knew that he'd be okay. I mean, the guy fell and died. It says that he died. Paul went down and he prayed uh, for him, and the the guy's life was restored to him. Okay, so uh, you know, don't trouble yourself. And then Paul goes back uh, to ministering. That's hardcore Bible study and fellowship right there. They're like, okay, he's still alive. Yep, he's good. Let's let's eat, right? And so it says that they talked for a long while until daybreak, and then they, you know, then they left. And this young man's brought in alive, and everybody's very comforted. Uh, comforted. I sounded like a meaner right there. Comforted. Uh, uh, everybody's very comforted. You know, this man was dead and now alive, and the power of Christ healed him. Um, we saw that God was working through Paul in amazing ways before, and here we see Paul just going down and praying for him, and uh, and he was healed. Verse 13, then we went ahead uh, to the ship and sailed to Asos. So here's you're going to hear a bunch of words that, uh, um, yeah, I'm just going to push through them. Uh, they're intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he had met them at Asos, he, uh, we took him on board and came to um, Mytilene. When uh, we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. Uh, then uh, the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at, uh, see, look at these, right? Trojulim. Uh, Trojillium, okay, that, that word. Uh, the next day we came to Miletus, that's much better, uh, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus uh, so that he would not um, have to spend time in Asia. Now that might be like, why wouldn't he want to spend time in Asia? For he was hurrying uh, to be at Jerusalem if, pos if possible on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus 
he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So uh, what's being said here in verse 13, we, Luke is speaking where he was also, and each stop that they take is described. So if you're just drawing lines, uh, I wish I had a map up here and we could just say, okay, they, they went here, here. All we really need to know is that there were purposeful stops along the way, and they sailed past Ephesus. He uh, would have to t spend time there if he had had stopped there, and he'll still meet with the, the leaders here, and we'll look at that here in a few moments, but Paul had a, a mission that he was on, so he couldn't stop. He knew that it would require, uh, because everybody loved him there, and he loved them, uh, but so he knew, like, have you ever been there where you're like, I really don't have time to stop into that house because there's no quick stop there, right? Uh, sometimes the conversation isn't going to be five minutes. Hey, love you. And like grandma's house, you know, the door's open. You got to sit down. You got to have cookies and homemade donuts and you got to have all these things, right? Or grandma's going to be offended or sad or whatever it is. Paul knew that he couldn't stop there because it was going to be a quick trip that he was on and he didn't have the time to stop. So instead of stopping there, he continued to Miletus and then called the leadership from Ephesus to himself. So Paul had given orders, and you know he was the one that God had put the position of leadership, and those serving under him uh, were ready to follow his orders and, and go meet up with him. It's a great picture of great uh, leadership and followership here. Uh, and Paul was an easy person. Not that Paul was very serious about his faith, but faith. But these people loved him, and they were ready to to do as he told them to do. So they uh, they come together. Verse eighteen. And when they had come to him, he said to them, "You know." Uh, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, uh, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by, uh, by the plotting of the Jews. So Paul says that they had witnessed the, his uh, faith during uh, the trials that he had faced. Now remember, uh, Paul had spoken about, and he, he writes of it later, uh, the summary of the things that he went through. I mean, the guy gets whipped and stoned and uh, beaten. And there, there's a lot that he went through. And uh, Paul, Paul was able to list it all. I don't have the, the, the scripture verse for us to look at here. Uh, but, but they understood who Paul was and how serious and true he was in his faith. So he gets their attention here. And this is a long speech for him. But he's getting their attention saying, hey, you know that I'm real, right? You guys know what I've been through. You guys know that the, the trials I've been through and that through those trials, God saw me through them and that my faith remained strong uh, through those trials. And Paul was an example of serving in humility, especially as a leader. First Corinthians 11 verse one, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, that, that he was a godly example to them. So what they saw in, in Paul was an example to them to follow that they could take and they could apply to their lives. Verse 20 says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So he says that he held back nothing that was helpful. He's a good shepherd. You know, Some will retain things to keep control. It's called a cult, right? They'll, they'll cherry pick what they want. They'll build a cult based on things. Hey, it's in the Bible, right? And they'll build things up and then they get followers uh, but they won't get into the meat of the scripture because the meat of the scripture speaks against them. And uh, so they'll take whatever they want uh, here. But Paul says here, I held back nothing that was helpful. You guys needed to hear whatever you needed to hear. It might have hurt, 
but I was willing to say it because it was helpful for your, your walk and your relationship with Christ. He says, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So he proclaimed it. Sometimes he proclaimed it publicly. Sometimes it was a house Bible study. Whatever it was, Paul was serious about the edification of the church there, the building up of the church. He wanted to strengthen them. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jews and Greeks uh, together heard the gospel. The gospel, the, the basic, remember, uh, I think, it, yeah, it was last week that we that we studied uh, just in um, either Acts, yeah, it was Acts 18, where uh, Paul, uh, 19, where Paul walks up and, and he's, he's around um, these disciples, but he realizes like, wait, there's something missing here. Have you been, do you, have you ever been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit, right? So there was, there was the need for them to hear because what they were baptized into was uh, the, 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 the baptism of John, which calls for repentance. But they, they needed the, the, the added and main ingredient of Jesus Christ being put into the equation, right? There had to be Jesus uh, fit into uh, these guys' lives. Because as soon as they started hearing about Jesus, what happened? Then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so it's, Jesus was that main ingredient. So Paul is, is, is combining those two things here. He's saying repentance toward God. Repentance means I'm going in this sinful direction. I'm following the world and I'm doing as the world does. And then I find out that that's a sinful way and that's creating a division between me and God. And once I get to that point and I know that I need to turn from those sins, I'd repent, right? I'd do a U-turn. Uh, there's a ministry called U-Turn for Christ. That's what it's talking about, where we, we repent. We were going in this direction that was taking us to destruction, and I'm turning around, and I'm turning toward God, right? So there's the repentance. We're turning from sin, and we're turning to Jesus Christ. He's putting those things together, and he's saying here, there's repentance towards God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? So they can come to Jesus, trust him for forgiveness of sins, so Paul's summarizing his ministry here to those that are going to be in leadership that were going to be responsible for keeping the ministry alive and keep it going. That's what he's doing. He's giving them like the last face-to-face -face ministry right here, saying, guys, from now on, I'm handing you the torch, and i got to go. This is what's happening. This, this is the last thing, because by the time we get to the end of this, we're going to see that Paul says that it's, uh, uh, Luke wrote that this was the last time they're going to see each other. They're going to lay eyes on each other here on this earth. Verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things which will happen to me that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of those things move; these things move me, nor do I count my life dear uh, to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. Right? Easy to read. Because <laughs> if I heard like, hey, uh, chains and uh, and all those things are awaiting you there, I'm probably, uh, you know, I, uh, what, what did Jonah do? Did he, which, which, okay, so he headed, oh, oh wait, how did it end for, tar, for, for him? Yeah, right, things didn't end so well there, right? Our hearts are going to want to take us to, because we consider our lives valuable to us, right? You know, Paul's of, there, there's complete peace in Paul's heart. 
He's not torn going, oh, do I want to follow God or do I want to run away? Paul knew that there was nowhere to go, that God had a special plan for him. But that plan meant, uh, bless you, uh, that plan meant that uh, he was, uh, it says here that uh, I go bound in the spirit. God is leading me. He's bound in, in, inside his spirit and he needs to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's being called there. Uh, he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I do know, verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulation await me. I mean, this guy knows. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but I do know that every city I stop in, the Spirit is reminding me that I must suffer many things for his name, right? Ananias heard that in Acts chapter 9 when he went uh, to, uh, to talk to Paul. And God said, hey, no, I really, that's the, the guy I want you to go talk to, the guy that was persecuting the church. He's a different man now. But I have many things, uh, and I, he's going to, I have many things to tell him about his sufferings uh, for, uh, that he's going to, uh, He's going to bear uh, for my name, that name that he was, uh, you know, as Paul, as a persecutor of the church before coming to Christ. And uh, God had a, a wonderful, um, uh, we wouldn't look at it uh, in his life. I know it's probably, it was wonderful for him to be beaten and whipped. But what happened when, when Paul was, he'd go to jail and he's singing and praying. He's like, cool. You know, he counted it a blessing. You know, it just, you know, okay, we were just talking about that church. Uh, here in Maine, like, oh, we're going to lose our social media account. Great. Well, just going to go pay and go on to a different one. Surprise, here we are, and we're just going to continue on. Paul knew that he, he had a mission to complete. He didn't know what was coming, but uh, Paul, I, I'm sure, was of the mindset of the old hymn that says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and I know I rest securely in the palm of his hand. You know, that, that Paul could have written that, even uh, himself. Because he says here in verse 24 that none of these things move me. Not only do they not move him, uh, he doesn't even count his life dear to himself. He's focusing on finishing his race with joy. You know, the joy of the Lord transcends our circumstances. It's not, it's not dependent on our circumstances. It transcends the circumstances. These chains and tribulation that await him aren't something that we're all going to get excited about. But if we have the joy of the Lord and we know that we're in his will and he's doing what he's called us to do, there's a joy that can come in that. As crazy as it sounds, but how many times did we see that uh, in the apostles' lives, right? Remember, they were all, I think it was Acts, uh, it was in the beginning of Acts, and I'm not going to embarrass myself and try to look back. I don't have the Rolodex mind. But looking back, uh, you know, in the early Acts, I, I want to say it's four or five, where after being beaten, they're all like giving each other high fives. They're like, yes, we got beaten right out in public. You know, that's the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That as I know I'm walking with him, I can face whatever I've got in front of me because I know that I'm in his hand. He's got his face set on ministry and he, that, that God has entrusted him with. And, you know, any minister needs that mindset. You know, to properly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that uh, that you uh, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying, I, I know that you're not going to see my face anymore, but I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have preached the name of Jesus Christ to everybody God has brought me to. 
You know, he got beat up. He, he, would, he would face persecution and threats and all those things, but he still fulfilled his ministry. He was a faithful minister of the gospel of grace, and he left nothing unsaid or undone. And he can say here with a full conscience and clear conscience, I have declared you the whole counsel of God. You have heard everything that you need to hear from me. Made the gospel very clear to Jews and Gentiles so that as he's leaving these guys and he's saying, hey, this is the ministry that I'm leaving with you. And you know I've shared everything I know with you. Three years of Bible study with Paul. Wow, that's, that's a powerful, that's an amazing thing. These guys were trained up in ministry. and They, they got to watch Paul. They got to listen to uh, how God had changed him and ministered to him. Now, so he says, I have not, verse 27 says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So here's the beginning of the word therefore. I've, I've given you all the tools. You've, you've learned from me, right? Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So this first thing that's being said here, the first therefore, is because he had declared to him the whole counsel of God. Because I've told you all these things, they need to take heed. So this is a very deep and serious charge that Paul is giving them. This isn't like, hey guys, just be on the lookout. This is focus, look at me, right? This is one of those big moments. Therefore, take heed, very deep, very serious, to yourselves as leaders, appointed by God as overseers, and to all the flock. He was, he was telling them, this is serious business and you need to take it seriously. And he's saying, because you as leaders, you need, to, you need to lead the flock well. You're called to shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, consider the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He said he was the good shepherd, right? What does a shepherd do? They lead in the ways of the Lord. Shepherd, pastor, right? They point out uh, where the cliffs are. You know, so as a shepherding a flock, oh, hey, there's danger over there. Don't go over there. You know, oh, right over here, this is where you want to be. So they're, 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 they're showing where uh, the problems can, can come from. Hey, this is not wise for your life. Don't go over that way. There's only danger and destruction that could happen there, right? You should follow this, this path right here that I'm going to lead you in. Those important things that a, that a shepherd was was called to do, right? To lead them to good pastures, to lead them to still water so they can eat in peace and comfort and, and to, to drink, get their water that they need. Feed them the word of God. They were responsible with feeding the word of God. It doesn't say go buy some fog lights and purple stuff and, you know, all the fog and purple lights, I should say, and all these things. He's saying feed them. They've got to take heed to their ministry. You know, what do you have to do? You've got to feed them. The word of God. What does a shepherd do? Also protect him from harm. And he addresses self-inflicted harm, right? And the, the harm that can come from outside, from savage wolves. And he says these savage wolves will not spare. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to be able to recognize uh, a, a wolf and a deer, deal with it accordingly is what he's saying. You see a wolf, deal with it accordingly and move forward. Deal with it the way you need to. They're seeking whom they may devour. He also says from inside, and he says, beware those that will speak perverse, which means misleading things. 
perverse things, perverting the scriptures. Because what does he say? They're, they're, they have to remember that they're shepherding, and as shepherds, they're called to lead. You know, a wolf in sheep's clothing is going to pervert the word of God and so that it benefits themselves and calls people to unto themselves and draw any away that they can make disciples to themselves with selfish motive, motives and uh, self-serving because they want to be worshipped. They, they want to be the one in the spotlight. They want to, those things there. Understand that Jesus Christ is our Lord. We follow him. Right, Me, as the pastor here, I should be able to say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Right, That's my response. If I can't, find somewhere else to go. Okay, Don't follow me if I'm not, if I'm not following Christ. Right? I'm not perfect. You're going to see imperfections in my life. I guarantee that. But the direction of my life should be following Christ. I'm going to let you down one way or the other, and I'm, I apologize up front. Hopefully I don't, but uh, you know, the goal is to not. But understand that my job is to make sure that this church goes in the proper direction. Verse 31. We're going to finish this out. I'll be quick. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Therefore, watch, right? Because of the threats, be watchful. Of all the things he just said, you got to watch out for these things. Therefore, because of those things, watch. Paul reminded them uh, that he warned them night and day, even to the point of tears. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a good shepherd, somebody that loves them. It's very serious uh, business to Paul, who, uh, who is a, a very good shepherd to them. He's not a hireling, right? Jesus uh, Christ uh, explained the differences between a good shepherd and a hireling in John 10, verses 11 through 13. They should come up here. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches uh, the sheep and scatters them. Then uh, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He, guys, if you're not into what he's saying to them, you're not into this, then you know, there's... He's not saying it, but I think it's implied here. If you're not up to the task, get out of the way because this is what you got to do. Can't be a hireling and run. You got to buckle down, button down the hatches, and be ready. You need to, you need to be ready to stand your ground and to lead this congregation that I'm leaving with you. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So these parting words uh, were very loving and touching to their hearts. And, and he says, I commend you to God. And the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's quite a departure. You know, now I, I, he's basically saying, I commend you to God. Go and follow the Lord and follow him in the word of his grace. I love that. The word of his grace. The word leads us to the grace of God. The world will lead us to condemnation and, and, and uh, guilt and sorrow and pain and uh, the just wrecking of our lives. But the word, if we follow the word, we're built up. Um, by the word of grace, right? Give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified, right? The eternal life. 
you know, fulfilled life here on earth and one of love and freedom in Christ, that fulfillment that's in Christ. Uh, here in this life and in the next, the, the life and the, the fulfillment that is in Christ. The sanctification, being set apart, things being removed from our lives, and God, that continuous sanctification process, right? Paul is explaining here that he provided for himself and those with him. And he tells them, you must support the weak. You must. You can't overlook their weakness. You must support them. So they saw an example of Paul who cared for those who were with him. They had three years to watch him and to listen to him and, and see how he served. Paul said in Romans 15 verses 1 through 3, uh, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples, which means the weaknesses of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let us uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, quoting Psalm 69 verse 9. Remember Jesus' words. It is be, he says here, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, uh, this, this, wasn't, um, this wasn't recorded for us in the scripture, but no doubt uh, this is a beatitude for us to learn from. Okay, somebody didn't write that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't write that down, uh, but it is most definitely from Christ. Think of how powerful that, powerful that is. Uh, you know, just that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I've got some friends that live out of state they're uh, now both retired militarily, and uh, they're selling their home, and they're moving uh, to warmer climates. And uh, when they come back up this way, they're going to be renting and stuff like that. But I'm just having a conversation with them this week, and and um, they're they're believers. They love the Lord, and and uh, just talking to our brother, and he's just saying like, it is so awesome just to take all my stuff and just give it away. He's like, I'm not even selling it; I'm just giving it away. You know, he's just saying it's it's such a blessing to him to just give it to somebody who's going to appreciate it. They don't want it. They don't want to cart it up and take it out west. You know, they, they're not even wanting to do all that. He's just saying, man, I've been so blessed to say, hey, this bedroom set. Yeah, who, who cares what we paid for? You guys want it? Here, take it. He goes, what am I going to make on that? 500 bucks? Whatever. I'm just going to bless somebody. He was just being blessed. And uh, it was cool. So that actually happened this week. So uh, I won't say his name because then he'll steal his blessing, right? So um, we want to be blessed. We bless others. Let's finish it up here, verse 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would, not, uh, they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is powerful. This is a moment of prayer, right? And to consider where they are. In our culture, we don't kiss each other as guys, right? Okay? Greet each other with a holy kiss, you know, especially in European cultures or whatever. They'll, you know, kiss each other on the side or they might have been kissing his head. This was a goodbye forever. This was a big deal. So they're, they're all kneeling down. They're praying. They're doing, you know, they're making the most of these final moments they have together. And what do they do? They're praying. And Paul's making sure that he's exhorting them and strengthening them and praying with them. It's a powerful moment that's happening here. Paul's headed off. He knows he's not coming back. This is it, guys. And they have that powerful, wonderful moment where they can pray together, uh, cry together, and, uh, and then move on. Knowing, the, the comfort being knowing they're going to see each other in eternity, right? We don't know. We don't know when we're going to go. Any of us. 
You know, just, just think of tragedies that happened in Searsport. Somebody driving their car, a power line went right across and, uh, and electrocuted them. You know, we just don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes there are, are unexpected things that are coming. We don't know when we're going to go. But if we do, hey, this is a final goodbye, man. That's, that's as real as it gets right there. That's tough. That's tough to go through. And these guys here are saying, all right, here's our final goodbye, but we're all going to, you know, they can't just like pack up. Paul had just commissioned them, and he said, you guys are it. You're responsible for this fellowship here. And, and then the believers here to lead them in the ways of the Lord. You've watched me do these things. You've seen how I've dealt with all these things. You know what's happened here. The craziness of, of what happened uh, when, when everybody got together screaming this and how I responded there. Paul's able to speak to, hey, guys, I've given you the example. You have the example. You've got to move forward in it. And he gives them that. And, you know, for us as Christians today, uh, we are responsible for sharing the gospel wherever the, uh, the Lord leads us. Let's take that seriously and, and know the scriptures, be able to share them. Uh, because when God does any you, guys, there's nothing greater, right, than when we're able to share the scriptures and somebody comes to faith, right? Or you see their, the light bulb come on and they're like, what? There's a God that loves me and wants a relationship with me and he's paid the penalty of my sin and all I have to do is believe in him and follow him? That's it? Yes. And all that crap from life, sorry, I don't mean to say that, but all the junk, I'll say junk, okay? All the old stuff that you've been carrying around, the burden of sin, gone. You know, when we can share that gospel and then watch them grow in the Lord. Ah, it's awesome. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the clear guidance it provides. Let us learn and let us apply it to our lives that we, God, would soften, that our heart would be soft and our mind would be soft to what you have and that you would shape us and use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. God bless you. Have a great day.